Joshua chapter 8, verse 1. We're looking at the fall of Ai. Last week we looked at the uh, unsuccessful attack on Ai and the things that they had learned. We learned about the things that were dedicated to the Lord. And so they got everything straightened out. God said, you know, there's sin in the camp. That's why you couldn't stand before your enemy. So they took care of the sin in the camp. Sin was gone. <laughs> All burned up. <laughs> and so now we go on to chapter 1. Or uh, chapter 8, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. We hear that a lot, don't we? Take all the people of war with you and arise and go up to Ai. See, I have given it into your hand, the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. So the people, the city, and the land were called his, the kings, but now they're not going to be anymore. But we see that phrase, do not be afraid or dismayed, quite a bit. And we have to always remember, this is a command. He's not simply saying, don't be afraid. In other words, don't let, that, don't let that come upon you. He says, don't act in such a way as to be in fear. Do not be afraid or dismayed. No matter what it is that comes at you, go after it. No matter what it is. He's saying, do not be afraid or dismayed. Now, we see this quite a few times in Joshua chapter 1, verse 6. Be strong and of good courage, for this people shall, not, shall divide an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Further down in verse 9, Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage. And then again, do not be afraid nor be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So we're commanded, be strong and of good courage and do not be afraid nor dismayed. Now if you are not afraid or dismayed, you will be strong and of good courage. They go hand in hand. But he's saying, I want you to be strong and of good courage. And then he goes on and says, Do not be afraid or dismayed. In chapter 1, verse 18, Whoever rebels against you, against your command and does not heed your words in all your command him, in all that you command him, shall be put to death. Put to death. Only be strong and of good courage. Be strong and of good courage. In Joshua chapter 10, verse 25, Do not be afraid nor be dismayed. Be strong and and of good courage, Joshua telling the people this. For thus the Lord will be will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. So Joshua heard this from the Lord and Joshua passes this on to the people. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. Be strong and of good courage. No matter what they face. And we saw some of the things that Israel faced over the years. They faced, the, when they first came out of Egypt, a Red Sea in front of them. An Egyptian army behind them. And barriers to the left and barriers to the right. They had no place to go. And what's the word of the Lord to them? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed. How many of you can find a reason to be dismayed in that situation? How many can find a reason to be afraid in that situation? You don't have armor. You don't have weapons. The Egyptian army was the most powerful army in the world at that time. And you've got a Red Sea in front of you. And them behind you. Can you be afraid? But you see, it's a choice. It is a command. When God gives us a command, we have the choice to obey it. We have the choice to not. Too many Christians blame their fear, their dismay, their lack of obedience, their lack of courage, simply on the fact that, well, look at this. Well, I'm up against 
this. Well, this is coming my way. Well, I have to face this. Well, I didn't know this was going to happen. We get these kind of, kind of things. And we look at Israel and it didn't work for them to say, you know what? The Egyptian army. You know what? The Red Sea. You know what? We didn't have any water. You know what? We didn't have any food. It didn't matter what they faced. God said, do not be afraid or dismayed. Be strong and of good courage. Be strong and of good courage. That doesn't mean that we don't go forward to do the things of God until we feel fear nothing. Just because the devil wants to try and get something inside, don't let it set. Think of the same things back in the, the Sunday series we just finished up about doubting. There are doubts in your heart and there are doubts in your head. God says don't doubt in your heart. But too often, Christians want to apply this to don't doubt in your head and they can't seem to get that done. The same thing comes here. God's concerned with what goes on in your heart, not your head. Your head may experience some fear, some dismay. But down in your heart, you say, you know what? I'm going. I'm going forward. We're going to keep on moving. So this is a command. He said, I have given into your hand. Into your hand. I've given it to you. This is yours. And you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its cattle you shall take as booty for yourselves. Lay an ambush for the city behind it. So the same thing they did to Jericho, we're going to do to Ai. We're going to see some things they did to Ai that weren't necessarily detailed the same way when we looked at Jericho. But obviously, they did the same thing. You shall do to Ai and his king as you did to Jericho. Verse 3. So Joshua arose and all the people of war to go up against Ai. And Joshua chose 30,000 men of valor and sent them away by night. And he commanded them, saying, Behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city behind the city. Do not go very far from the city, but all of you be ready. Then I and all the people who are with me will approach the city and it will come about when they come out against us as at the first, that we shall flee before them. For they will come out after us till we have drawn them from the city. For they will say they are fleeing before us as at first. Therefore, we will flee before them. Then you shall arise from the ambush and seize the city. For the Lord your God will deliver it into your hand. And it will be when you have taken the city that you shall set the city on fire according to the commandment of the Lord you shall do. See, I have commanded you. Now, you're going to see this phrase in there, all Israel. But we also see that he chose 30,000 for the ambush. We'll see later on that Joshua himself is taking 5,000. Altogether, that is 35,000. 35, I think they have a little bit more armors, uh, warriors than that. Is that working okay for you? All right, good. <laughs> I saw you looking and I wasn't sure what you're <laughs> making sure it's working, okay? So 35,000 is what's going in here. Now, he's telling them to take all of them, but it doesn't seem like this is all the warriors. They must, there may be the rest of the Israel somewhere else around, but you got 30,000 in ambush and 5,000 that are there with the, uh, with, jo- with Joshua. And so we're going to go against them with 5,000, which is more than what they took in there before. It was 3,000 they took in there before. So they're going to see a a few more and they may be thinking, all right, this is the rest of them. And so when they retreat, that's why they may feel comfortable in all coming out against them. Now notice he says here, 
that they stayed between Bethel and Ai, on the west side of Ai, but Joshua lies that, that night among the people. Now, if you look, there's another time that we had something happen between Bethel and Ai. In chapter 12, verse 7, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel. And he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So Abram journeyed going on still toward the south. He is basically in the same region, the same area that they are now. They got Ai on one side and Bethel on the other. And he called on the name of the Lord and they built an altar there. So that all these years later, hundreds of years later, we have the children of Israel. And they are coming to the very same spot that Abram was on. The very same place, that same region. And they are also are going to build an altar. Isn't that neat? I mean, can you imagine Abraham? He's back over there in that day and he's building an altar. Would he be thinking, you know what? When, the, when the, the, those who come from me are a nation, they're going to come to this place and they're going to build an altar too. Joshua will also build, uh, like I said, the Joshua's also uh, build one right here in the same spot. In uh, verse 30, we'll see that down the road. Then Joshua rose up early in the morning and mustered the people and went up, he and the elders of Israel, before the people to Ai. And all the people of war who were with him went up and drew near. And they came before the city and camped on the north side of Ai. Now a valley lay between them and Ai. So he took 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai on the west side of the city. So 35,000 soldiers here. And they're told to take all these guys. Now again, this, I've mentioned this to you before, but this is not a rebuke that they didn't take enough people. If it was not, they did not lose because they did not take enough people. That's not the reason that they lost because there was sin in the camp. It wasn't a matter that they, they took 100,000 people. They were going to lose that battle. But they only took 3,000. And he's not rebuking them for not taking enough. Because even now, it doesn't seem like they have all of them there. They may be around, but they're not engaged in the battle. He chose 30,000 and he took 5,000 with him. Now, the one difference between Ai and, and Jericho... They're going to pretty much treat the places the same except the stuff in Ai is theirs. They get to keep it. Now here's something that's interesting though. When the children of Israel go from city to city, there are some cities they are commanded to burn and there are some cities they leave intact. Not exactly sure all the details of why, but God had certain reasons why certain ones were to be burned. Jericho must have been a particularly hideous city and God commanded burn it all up. I don't want any of it. You're not going to live in there either. Burn it all up. But Ai, this little village city, he comes. He says burn it too. Just like he did Jericho, burn this one too. Now it may just be because of the, the uh, loss that was there. Don't know exactly. But uh, they're commanded to burn this one. But there are some cities they're not commanded to burn. No, they're, they're going to move in on those. Just move right on in and, and you move into houses that you didn't build. You move into walled cities that you didn't build. And you just take them over and you just go. Now when we get into the millennial reign, we're going to have the same thing. It's going to be the same way. There are some cities that are going to have been burned. And God will say, leave them. Anybody think of a very famous one? 
that is told to be left alone? Babylon. Babylon will be rebuilt. It will be active. It will be a center of attention during the tribulation period. And it will become destroyed. And God says during the millennial reign, do not rebuild it. And every time somebody walks by it, you tell them about the rebellion, about the things of the children of Israel. Babylon was going to stand for all the millennial reign as a place of rebellion and to remind people so that when Satan is released at the end of the thousand years, they had this remembrance. They kept walking by it. They kept seeing it. And they could be, be knowing, don't rebel again, but some of them are going to fall into rebellion again. Amazing. But other cities, we're going to go in and we're going to fix back up again. We're going to repair them. We're going to live in those cities. We're going to live in those houses. We're going to use those stores or those offices or whatever it might be that's there. We're going to go ahead and right on, right on through the millennial brain and use them. But there's some places that be the same way as this one. Verse 13. And when they had set the people, all the army that was on the north side of the city and its rear guard on the west side of the city, Joshua went that night in the midst of the valley. Now it happened when the king of Ai saw it that the men of the city hurried and rose early and went out against Israel to battle. He and all his people at the appointed place before the plain. But he did not know that there was an ambush against him behind the city. Now ignorance to something that's going on is not an excuse. And that's the same way with God. Just because we are ignorant of a thing does not mean we have an excuse. Too many Christians want to go before God and when something bad happens, I didn't know. How about, how about your ch children when you're raising them up? How many times did your children come in and try and plead ignorance? Oh, but I didn't know. Oh, I didn't know you didn't want me to do that, Mom. Oh, I didn't know you didn't want me to do that, Dad. <laughs> and Did it work? No. Didn't work for that either. Just because we plead ignorance doesn't mean we're going to get away with it. There are some things that you need to find out and you need to, to, to work on. There are some things that can go on with your home, some things that can go on with your car. And just because you are ignorant of it doesn't mean you get it all scot-free. You pay the, the price for ignorance. You know, if you don't know, you're supposed to put oil in your car. When you get to the mechanic and he says the engine's fried, there's no oil in it, you can't say, oh, I didn't know that. Do I get a do-over? Because you don't. There are some things you just got to know. And so the king of Ai didn't know that there was an ambush. You should always count on the fact that the enemy is up to something. Don't ever let the enemy take you by surprise. Just always know the enemy is up to something. I'm not going to be in fear of it, but I am going to walk circumspect, circumspectly as the Word talks about it. The Word tells us to be wise. Because the enemy looking around to see who can get. And Joshua and all Israel made as if they were beaten before them and fled by the way of the wilderness. So all the people who were in Ai were called together to pursue them. So this is the second time, the second time they retreated. So they said, look, if we're going to make sure that they don't do it again, let's go out and really get them. Let's send everybody and let's drive these people out of the land. Obviously, we've got a, it's working here. We're defeating them. So let's go get them. So all the people who were in Ai were called together to pursue them and they pursued Joshua and were drawn away from the city. There was not a man left in Ai or Bethel. Now apparently Bethel is involved in this battle too. They must have teamed up. We didn't hear too much about Bethel being involved in the first battle in 
chapter 7. But after the attack and after the victory, they may have teamed up with the guys over in Bethel and said, look, if you and us together, when they come back again, we'll probably have a better chance. So Bethel may have uh, waited until then to, to jump in. But anyway, however it is, we know now that Bethel is involved. And Bethel's a pretty uh, prominent place, isn't it? Bethel is mentioned many times in the Word of God. Ai is burned up. We don't build that one again. But Bethel's not burned. God didn't say burn Bethel. He said burn Ai. So Bethel was allowed to continue even though they were involved in this battle. And, and the people were, were wiped out. But the city, village, whatever it was, they were able to inhabit that. There was not a man left in Ai or Bethel who did not go out after Israel. So they left the city open and pursued Israel. Not a real wise thing to do to, to leave it open like that, but you know they're figuring Jericho got wiped out by these people, and if we don't do something, then you know we, we've got to do we we got to fix these folks up. We got to win this. We got to knock these folks out because they're going to keep coming after us until they beat us. Then the Lord said to Joshua, stretch out the spear that is in your hand toward Ai, for I will give it into your hand. And Joshua stretched out the spear that was in his hand toward the city. So those in ambush rose quickly out of their place. Now, I don't think that stretching out a spear is some magic charm with God. How many times did Moses stretch out his staff? And something happened. Red Sea parted. The rock gave water. All kinds of things happened when he put it his spear to work or his, his uh, shepherd's staff to work. And here, Joshua uses a spear. But it works because God said, stretch out your spear. Stretch out your staff. If God doesn't say to stretch something out, it isn't going to work. The obedience is what causes this thing to work. So he obeys. He doesn't sit there and, see, and figure out, well, what good is stretching out my spear going to do? Doesn't try and figure all that out. He just doesn't. So Joshua stretched out the spear that was in his hand toward the city. So those in ambush arose quickly out of their place. They ran as soon as he had stretched out his spear. So they're watching them. Somehow they could see that this spear was being stretched out. And that was their cue that the men had left the city of Ai. And they entered the city and they took it. And they hurried to set the city on fire. Now I read this a couple of times and I'm trying to get a picture of this. Setting Jericho on fire is not a big deal because who does, does this stuff belong to? Belongs to God. So if you burn it up, big deal. But who does this stuff belong to in Ai? Them. But they're, they're one who obey the, vo the voice of God, the command of God, so they hurriedly set the city on fire because that's what God said. That's the strategy they were given. Draw them out, take the city, set it on fire. And so they did. So what are they burning? They're burning some stuff. Some stuff that could have been theirs. Now, they got some stuff out of this. We'll see that they did carry some loot out. But some stuff got burned. If you hurry and burn the city, you're not going to pull all the good stuff out, probably. They hurried to set the city on fire. And when the men of Ai looked behind them, they saw and behold, the smoke of the city ascended to heaven. So they're out there pursuing. They're not really noticing what's going on behind. But then someone must have looked back or smelled smoke or whatever. And they looked back and they said, Our city's on fire. And they realized they'd been had. Now when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had taken the city and the smoke of the city ascended, that was their sign back. 
Joshua's sign was the stretched out spear. Their sign back to the men to stop retreating was burn the city. As they see the smoke coming up, they'll know, all right, now you don't have to keep drawing them out of the city anymore. Now we can take them. They had taken the city, the smoke had ascended, and they turned back and struck down the men of Ai. So once they saw that, they stopped retreating and they pursued them. They said, we weren't really running from you. We're just trying to draw you out. Here you go. Take this. And they start battling and, and winning. And the men of Ai, it says here, then the others came out of the city against them, so they were caught in the midst of Israel. You got 5,000 in front of you and 30,000 behind you. So they were caught in the midst of Israel, some on this side and some on that side, and they struck them down so that they let none of them remain or escape. But the king of Ai they took alive and brought him to Joshua. And it came to pass when Israel had made an end of slaying all the inhabitants of Ai in the field, in the wilderness where they pursued them, and when they had fallen by the edge of the sword until they were consumed, that all the Israelites returned to Ai and struck it with the edge of the sword. So whatever had not burned yet, they finished it all off. They knocked stuff down. They made sure it was taken care of. So it was that all who fell that day, both men and women, were 12,000, all the people of Ai. I imagine that's the people of Bethel as well. Because it says they were involved in this battle. So Joshua did, because I don't think Israel could have counted who was Ai and who was Bethel. All they know is that these are dead people. And they aren't ours. And they counted 12,000. Can you imagine going around and counting 12,000 bodies? Hmm. They must have had some kind of system. People went out, you know, I, I got 100 over here. We counted uh, 500 over here. We got 50. And they just kept adding them all up and they came up with 12,000. For some reason, it was important. didn't seem that God told them to do it, but for some reason, it was important. I would have thought they would have just dug a big hole and put them all in there. But they didn't do that. All who fell that day, both men and women, were 12,000. Now, when they have 12,000, they're not differentiating because they killed everyone. Men, women, and children. All of them were to die. Because God said, uh, well, He said it for a number of reasons. One, they were idolaters and they knew that they would bring that idolatry into them. But the main reason was the blood of the giants was all through the people of Canaan. And the same way that Noah, because he was also dealing with the blood of the giants. The giants were the blood of the fallen angels with the women. And Satan was trying to corrupt the seed so that Jesus could not be born of pure human blood and therefore could not be the sacrifice. And so God said, we've got to wipe out all that giant blood. We know from the New Testament that the angels that were responsible, who got involved in it, he were, they were locked up and kept in a special place. <laughs> special place just for bad angels. And they were locked up there. It's not hell. The special spot just for bad angels. No one else will go there, just the bad angels. For Joshua did not draw his... So it was that all who fell that day, both men and women, were 12,000. So it's not just half of that are men and half of that are women. I'm sure that somewhere around there it's, it's true. But you have children that are involved and you have old people that are involved. And so not all of those are men of war. So if half of them are men, of that 6,000, how many of them are children? The lifespans back then were not that long. And uh, your time period for being a warrior was not a, a, a great deal. So that's where your pool of men who were fighting were much smaller than this. For Joshua did not draw his hand back 
with which he stretched out the spear until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai, only the livestock and the spoil of that city Israel took as booty for themselves, according to the word of the Lord, which he had commanded Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai and made it a heap forever, a desolation to this day. No one had rebuilt it. No one wanted to. Apparently Ai was not that big of a, a deal. Jericho was rebuilt, but Ai no one really cared about. And the king of Ai, he hanged on a tree until evening. And as soon as the sun was down, Joshua commanded that it should take his corpse down from the tree, cast it at the entrance of the gate of the city, and raise over it a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Now, it's not that it takes that long to die. <laughs> they hung him on a tree and let him hang there as a, as a sign, as a, uh, uh, you know, dis discrediting him, disgracing them. But as soon as the sun went down, the, the law of the Jews was you don't hang a person overnight. Take them down. Which is why that the, when Jesus was being sacrificed, the Romans, they'd leave you there for days. Because crucifixion, crucifixion was a slow way to die. But they gave in to the, to the uh, Jewish people who said, no, you can't be on there on the Sabbath. You've got to pull them down. And so they pulled them down on, when the crucifixion went over a Sabbath. They at least gave in on, on that part. That's why they went around and broke the legs of the men so that they would suffocate faster. But Jesus didn't have to break his, break his legs. So he's hanged on a tree. Great heap of stones still there this day. So as people are walking on by, remember God's in the remembrance. They walk by. What's that great heap of stones there? Oh, that's the king of Ai. He's underneath that. And the rest of that, that's the city of Ai. And this is the story that happened. Remember, we got an, a, a remembrance too for Achan. Now we got one for Ai. Ai. We're going to remember in this story. They, God wanted Israel to remember this story because obedience is important. Verse 30. Now Joshua built an altar to the Lord God of Israel in Mount Ebal. As Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the children of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of whole stones over which no man has wielded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there in the presence of the children of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. Then all Israel, with their elders and officers and judges, stood on either side of the ark before the priests, the Levites who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord, the stranger, as well as he who was born among them, half of them were in front of Mount Gerizim, and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded before that they should bless the people of Israel. And afterward he read all the words of the law, the blessings and the cursings, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of it and that Moses had commanded, which Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel, with the women, the little ones, and the strangers who were living among them. So we have an altar on Mount Ebal. We rewrite the law, and we're reading the blessings and the cursings. This comes from Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 1. Now Moses, with the elders of Israel, commanded the people, saying, Keep all the commandments which I command you today, and it shall be on the day when you cross over the Jordan to the land which the Lord your God has given you, that you shall set up for yourselves large stones and whitewash them with lime. And you shall write on them all the words of this law, when you have crossed over, that you may enter the land which the Lord your God has given you, a land flowing with milk and honey just as the Lord your God of your fathers promised you. Therefore it shall be when you have crossed over the Jordan 
that on Mount Ebal you shall set up these stones which I command you today, and you shall whitewash them with lime. And there you shall build an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. You shall not use an iron tool on them. You shall build the whole stones, build with whole stones the altar of the Lord. In other words, you're not going to cut the stones. An altar of the Lord your God and offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. You shall offer peace offerings and shall eat there and rejoice before the Lord your God. And you shall write very plainly on the stones all the words of this law. Then Moses and the priests and Levites spoke all Israel, saying, Take heed and listen, O Israel. This day you have become the people of the Lord your God. Therefore you shall obey the voice of the Lord your God and observe His commandments, His statutes, which I command you today. And Moses commanded the people on the same day, saying... Now, if you go on through here and you read the rest of this part, here's what they do. They get half the congregation, half of the tribes of Israel, and they put them on one side. And half, and they put them on the other side. And the one side is to read the cursings, and the other side is to read the blessings. Half of the people of Israel, two to four million people divided in half. And half are on one side going up a mountain, half are on the other side going up a mountain, got a valley in between. And this side says, Cursed shall you be if you... Cursed shall you be if you... And they recite it. So all this side knows it because they said it and all this side knows it because they hear it. And then this side, they do all the blessings from this side. Blessed shall you be if you... And blessed shall you be if you... Because the Word of God says, if you do these things, cursed shall you be. If you do these things, blessed shall you be. And so they shout this out. Now, I'm sure that other people can probably hear this. And they're hearing, Cursed shall you be if you do not obey the word of the Lord. Cursed shall you be if you worship foreign gods. Cursed shall you be. And all these things come out. And then the blessings get read over. And they read all the blessings. And the reason they do this is because God said so. All right, we're here. We got Mount Ebal. We got Mount Gerizim. We're going to set up an altar where God said to. We're going to write. And they sat there and they wrote on stones the law of Moses. It doesn't mean all the Pentateuch, but it means the part that was the law. You shall do this, you shall not do that. They've, not that just the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were a small part of that. But they wrote all the law while all Israel was there and they read it. And everyone was there. Young Old, didn't matter. Everyone was there. Which is why it's always good to have young children around when the Word is being read, being gone over. Always good to have that kind of stuff going on. Because how many times do the children come out of there and say, talk about the things that they heard? Because they heard it. And God knows the same thing. You get those kids over there. You met them here. Well, they're not going to understand, but they heard it. And it's important that they hear it. In Deuteronomy chapter 27, a little bit further down here in verse 9. O Israel, this day you have become the people of the Lord your God. O Israel, this day you have become the people of the Lord your God. They have always been called the people of the Lord your God. What he is saying is right now you have become the people of the Lord your God. Therefore, in other words, because you have now become the people of the Lord your God, therefore, you shall obey the voice of the Lord your God and observe His commandments and His statutes, which I command you today. 
This day you have become the people of the Lord your God. Because we are a people of the Lord our God. Because we are. Doing these things doesn't make us one. But because we are the people of the Lord our God. Therefore, you shall obey the voice of the Lord and observe His commandments and His statutes, which I command you. Therefore, you shall obey and observe. Obey and observe. We are the people of God. Therefore, we shall obey and observe. There's a whole lot of folks out there who want to claim, I am the people of God. But they don't go from there and obey and observe. The people of God obey His commands, obey His voice, and observe what He says to do. That's what the people of God do. Are we people of God? When God says to do something, then we do it. We don't question. We don't say, well, why should I stretch my staff out? Well, why should we lay an ambush? This is a small city. We can crush them. We can just, through sheer power, go on down there and crush them. Because Israel had way more power than they needed to knock these people out. But God says, no, you're not going to do it that way. This is how I want you to do it. But that's a lot more involved than we need to be. And that's a great strategy. Why don't we save that strategy for later? Because we are people of God. And we obey the voice of the Lord our God. And we observe what He commands. Because we're people of God. The devil wants to come up to you. The enemy wants to come up and whisper in your ear. Why do you not do that? Why do you do that? I'm a people of God. And this is what people of God do. They obey the voice of the Lord their God. And they observe all that He commands. And all that He says. Yeah, but why do you want to do that? I'm a people of God. See, too often we get brought into questions. Why should I do what God said to do? Instead of simply getting back to the fact that I am a person of God. I am of the people of God. Therefore, this is what I do. This is what I do. I'm a people of God. But the devil wants to get us into arguing, well, why are you doing that? Should you really do that? If Adam and Eve would have understood this concept, the devil would have come to them and said, yeah, how about trying out the, the tree? Then they simply could have said, we're a people of God. We do what He says. We listen to His voice. We obey His commands. Yeah, but look what you could be getting if you were a people of God. But see, He brought them into deciding, well, yeah, I guess there are some benefits if I were to go ahead and do that. No, don't, don't be thinking about all that. I am a person of God. If God lays it out, that's how I'm going to do it. I don't question it. I don't wonder about it. If God says in His Word, you should not get involved with this, then I just don't get involved. Don't do it. Just like if you get that new gadget, that new kitchen utensil, that new tool, that new thing in your driveway, whatever it might be, and the manual says, thou shalt not use regular gasoline. Yeah, but regular gasoline's cheaper. 
thou shalt not use it. Or if you go and get your oil changed, the manual says, thou shalt use 20W50. I've always used 10W40 all my life. I've used 10W40, had great success with it. I think I'll just use what I want to use. <laughs> You'll pay the price. You know, there's all kinds of oils for all kinds of engines. And each one needs certain things. And if we don't use it that way, what happens to the engine? It, it, it dies. <laughs> it doesn't get the lubrication it needs and it's over. It's just not gonna, it's not gonna make it. Over at our house in our shed, we have a couple of different gas cans. I got one very special gas can. That gas can is marked. It is a very special one. It's a smaller one than all the other ones. It's got push button on it. You just push the button and the gas comes out. And we just put that thing in this position, push the button. But inside that gas can is not just gas, it's gas and oil because two-cycle engines need gas and oil. I don't sit there and try and figure out why does the two-cycle engine need gas and oil? And why didn't they just do it the way all the other ones are where they have oil here and gas here? And that's not for me to figure out. I just know this is what we use. Gas and oil. So we want the gas and oil in the gas tanks that want gas and oil. And we don't want gas and oil in those gas tanks that are only gas. Because it's going to become the harm if we use the wrong thing in the wrong place. We don't have to figure it all out why. It's simply, that's what they said to do. If you get that new kitchen utensil, oh, this thing looks wonderful. It does wonderful things. And it says, do not wash in the dishwasher. Why do you think they say that? Because they want you to work harder. Right? Because they just want to spite you. They'll wonder for years why they can't put this in. We'll just mess with them. No, there's something about the dishwasher that is going to affect that. You ever get those knives with wooden handles? You know what you're not supposed to do with those? Put them in the dishwasher. <laughs> because what happens to the wooden handle? It starts to deteriorate after a while. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, it just eats it up. It's not good. Don't be doing it. You get those certain days, you put the blades in the, in the dishwasher, it dulls the blade. It ruins the plastic. The plastic can't hold up to it. There are certain pots and pans you have, do not use in the microwave. <laughs> you know why? Because they just, they just want to mess with you. Now we've got certain plates, and it didn't say, I don't know if it ever said on the packaging, we didn't read it, but certain plates, we know we can't put in the microwave. Because we have put them in it, and they come out hot. Really hot. Hot like they'll burn your hand. Hotter than the food that you're trying to cook. They're just hot. So we just know, this plate, don't put it in the microwave. We are, everybody in the household knows it. We don't do it. Because bad results come from that. We can go around, we can try and figure all these things out, but there's no reason to with God. God simply says, don't do this. And you know why we do it? Or don't do it? Because we are people of God. That's all we need to know. I'm a person of God. I belong to the people of God. And people of God, you know what they do? They obey the voice of the Lord and they observe all that He says and all that He commands. Are you a person of God? Glory to God. Father, we thank You that we are people of God. We hear Your voice and we obey Your voice. We read what You have commanded and we observe what we read. We remember it. We write them in our, on our heart, as it were. We keep them before us all the time. 
because we are people of God. We listen. We obey Your voice because we're people of God. That's all I have to do. That's all we have to say to we, to the enemy when he comes up and tries to argue with us about doing something different. Nope, nope. I'm a person of God. Devil, you wouldn't know about it because you're not a person of God, but I am a person of God and I know about these things. Those that are persons of God, we obey His voice. We observe all He commands because that's what we do. Doing those things didn't make us a person of God. We are a person of God. And then we do these things. Father, we thank You for the help that You give us to hear Your voice and to obey it. To know what Your commands are and to observe them. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.